kids. I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a few of them around here. There's around 35 or 40 that are underneath our feet today and across the way at our youth house. Um, but, you know, so often we talk about these kids and, and we talk about the importance of us investing in them. We talk about the importance of us teaching them and molding them and mentoring them. We talk about the importance of us showing them the ropes so that they can be the, the next generation of leaders, right? So that they can be the future of the church. However, sometimes I think we underestimate just how much they could teach us in return. Um, Beth Tapps got back there. Wave at everybody, Beth. Who's getting married next weekend? Hey, Nick. Woo, yeah, that's right. Nick, we like you too. We approve. We approve. But, uh, Beth was uh, talking with a group of us at Tacos and Theology last week, which if you haven't come yet, it's pretty fun. Thursdays at noon at Elmo's on campus. But uh, we were having this conversation about kids, and she was telling me about her nephew, um, Noah. Uh, This is Noah. Isn't he cute? Um, If you can't tell, Noah loves chickens. He raises chickens of his own. And um, he also has a sense of humor because this chicken's name is Roast. I like it. I like it. Uh, it's pretty good. Nugget noodle. And what was the last one? Dinner. It's keeping it real. All right. Um, <laughs> but she was telling me that Noah and her, uh, his grandfather, they were like out and about and they met this lady who had decided to raise chickens herself. And so she had all kinds of questions for them. And by them, I should really say the grandfather, she kept asking him all the questions in the conversation. But the only problem was the grandfather really didn't know that much about chickens. So he kept turning to Noah and asking him the questions and, and, uh, would turn back. But the lady still was undeterred every time she would ask the grandfather again and again until finally, as she's ignoring this little boy, she makes a comment uh, and says that she's built a fence 10 foot tall around her chickens, you know, to keep them in, make sure nothing can get into them. And Noah kind of stopped her at that point and said, well, what kind of roof do you have on that fence? And she said, I don't need a roof. It's 10 foot tall. She kind of laughed at him, you know, like, why is he even asking this question? And he paused for a second and then said to her, he said, "Uh, well, that hawk isn't going to worry about how tall that fence is when he swoops down and he takes one of your chickens. <laughs> and from that point forward, this woman saw the wisdom of this little boy and she started pointing all of his questions back to him. Um, you know, it's kind of like me when I have a question about dinosaurs or deep sea creatures. I'm not going to Google. I'm going to this guy, Abram Druin. If you haven't met Abram, he's amazing. He's downstairs. He's got some really cool sunshades today. Make sure you see them before you leave. But uh, we'll be talking sometimes and I'll see a picture of an animal. I'll be like, hey, like that's a shark, right, Abram? And he'll be like, actually, it's always actually, and he'll like rattle off some long name that I cannot even begin to repeat back to you guys. But kids, we don't always give them the credit that they deserve. You know, try telling our kids around here that they are the next generation of leaders, that they're the future of the church, and they're going to kind of like look at you like you're crazy a little bit. They're going to look at you like maybe you've lost your mind because they recognize that they have something to bring to the table right here, right now, in the present.
Kind of like Reed Kickert. He's the one over here on the right. Reed uh, informed me about a month ago, and when I say inform, I mean inform. He just told me that he was now a point, a part of the uh, welcome team, and um, that he would be serving on a regular basis, and that he would require a name tag. And so I said yes, sir, and I got right on that. And whenever I told the person who makes the name tags, I said you might as well go ahead and make a name tag for every one of the kids because every one of them is going to want one. Um, or of course, there's uh, we have Addie Kay and Cora here who didn't hesitate for one second to serve us communion on Easter Sunday. Or Gracie Lee. Gracie Lee, I caught her up here behind the pulpit one day after church, and uh, she was giving a fiery sermon, so I sat down to listen to it. Um, she was recounting the story of Adam and Eve, and she said, and they ate the apple, and poof, their clothes were gone. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I'll never be able to top that sermon. <laughs> but our kids, they love to lead us in worship. They love to serve. They know that they know that they know that they are already the church. Yes, it is imperative that we teach them. But it is just as imperative that we allow them to teach us as well. Jesus, he recognized this. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem to complete his mission that he has come here to earth to complete. He's on his way to this place where he is going to be crucified where he is going to die, where he is going to lay down his life, where he is going to suffer with us and for us. And then he's going to rise again so that we can experience full life here and now and forevermore. That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? That's what Jesus is on his way to do. But along the way, he's keeping doing the things that he always does. He's teaching. He's healing people. He's still getting kind of harassed by all the religious leaders and Pharisees and scribes. But as he's going along, every single step he takes is taking him closer to that final destination. Knowing this kind of helps us make sense of the disciples a little bit, the sense of urgency that they seem to have, because you see, they still don't really get Jesus's mission. They still think they're going to Jerusalem because Jesus is going to overthrow their enemy, Rome, and he's going to take a seat on a throne and wear a crown and be king. And that's going to be good for all of Israel. But guess who it's going to be really good for? Those disciples, his right-hand men, right? Like they're about to get this big promotion. So they're like hurrying Jesus along. Let's go, right? Um, with all this in mind, you know, they're, they're here with Jesus. He's been teaching and he's about to move on to the next place. When all of a sudden some people start coming to Jesus with children. Children. You know, this isn't actually that unusual of a thing. People would do this back in that day and that time. They would bring their children to distinguished rabbis and ask for the rabbis to pray a blessing over them, particularly on their first birthday. And so this is an unusual thing for, for people to do. Um, but think about, you know, the fact that these people have been hearing about Jesus, right? Like they are hearing these whispers about who he might be. They're hearing how he's been healing people with a, just a touch of his hand. So you can just imagine these parents 
like clamoring to get to him. Like, I want my kid to be held by Jesus. They're just like all of us. They want the very best for their kids. However, the disciples are standing here and they see this as totally unnecessary. They see this as a complete distraction to their very important business. They look at these kids and they think, we don't have time to shake hands and kiss babies. You know, we have a kingdom to establish. These kids, they have nothing to offer us. They have nothing um, to to give a return on investment from Jesus. They can't go and, and sway things amongst the powerful. They can't go and they speak on Jesus's behalf and promote his reputation. They definitely can't pick up a sword and fight for him. Jesus's work was this serious business. And so the disciples, what they do is they start rebuking these people. They start sending them away. However, Jesus recognized that as it's been said, children are not a distraction from the most important work. They're actually the most important work of all. And so Jesus, he rebukes his disciples right back. He says, don't stop them. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. I wonder if that was like embarrassing for the disciples, you know, like their boss has just called them out in front of all these people. I kind of wonder if in that moment, those parents who've been stopped by them, like shoot them a sly smile or maybe like bump into the disciples shoulders as they rush past them to get to Jesus. These are the juicy details I really wish the gospel writers would give us because inquiring minds want to know, but none of that is there. We just have to imagine the scene. But what is clear is that Jesus calls these children right to himself. He says, come on over. Think about that. Think about it. Even when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die, he makes time to welcome children and to extend God's goodness to them. As a church, we seek to follow the example of Jesus. We want to be a community of people that welcome children and extend God's goodness to them. It's not just one of, of, of many things on a long list of things that we kind of are about, but rather for us, ministry to children is an intentional priority that we pursue. This started around 25 years ago when Broadway, I think, was around 150 people. They still had just the, the one campus across town. And they were um, meeting together in homes, and they were starting to pray. They were asking God, like, how is it that you want us to serve this community? How is it that we can be faithful now? And as they prayed, what became abundantly clear is that they were supposed to, to minister to children, even though at that point in time they only had, like, 11 kids in the entire church. And it was at that point that our Early Learning Center began. Our Early Learning Center um, this past year served over 200 children. Um, and um, it's pretty amazing, you know, like as they're teaching these kids their ABCs, they're also planting deep inside their little souls this truth that God loves them so that that truth can, can, can then begin to sprout and grow and bloom across a lifetime. We have some of our Early Learning Center uh, teachers here today, it occurs to me. So if you're an Early Learning Center teacher, would you stand up? Kelly, I know you're a guest today, but you're still one of our teachers. We have Kelly and Michelle. Uh, tell us, tell us what, what ages you all teach. That's your class? How old are they? All right. Liz, oh, you're all pre-K. Liz teaches pre-K. You teach pre-K and you do? All right. 
And they're all angels all the time. Perfect. Yeah, perfect angels. Yes. It's because of those great teachers. That's right. But we thank you guys um, for your service. Um, now we're beginning to dream about, like, what would it look like for that ELC experience to come here across town? What would it look like for us to be able to serve the, the families of Plano and Alvaton right here at this campus? And so I invite you to, to dream about that and to pray about that with me as well. But that focus on children all the way back then has now led to a vibrant children's ministry and student ministry that focuses on every child being known and nurtured in faith. And that focus on children way back then has also led us out into our community to partner with organizations that, that reach out to children like um, our, our school system mentoring in those schools. Um, it's led us to be a part of establishing a preschool in the west end of our town at a place called the Foundry. When we think about our legacy as a church, that long-lasting impact that we want to be remembered for, what we want that legacy to be is that we want to be a people that we're known for taking time for and investing in children. Jesus, he welcomed children that day, the ones that the disciples wanted to send away. He made time for them and he blessed them, but he also did something else. He also told all these people who were gathered around that these children that he was holding, that they had something to teach them as well. This is what he said. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It's very interesting. Um, three of the four Gospels include this story. But Luke, he's writing, he's a doctor. He tends to be a little bit more technical in his detail. And so he's the only one of the three that tells us at the beginning of this, this passage that these just weren't any children of all different ages. What he tells us is that these children were babies. Babies like, like the infants that we celebrated up here earlier today. And so what is it that we need to learn from them? What is it that we need to learn from little Kalina up here? She's trying to tell us. She's like, be quiet, Pastor Laura. I have something to say. You know, what is it we need to learn um, from Eva? What is it we need to learn from Carson? Their lesson for us, it becomes clear when we zoom out a little bit. Because whenever we zoom out from this story, what we discover is that this account is actually sandwiched between two other stories that enlighten it. The first story is the story of two men who go to pray. One of them is a Pharisee. Preach it, girl. I like it. I love it. One of them is a Pharisee, and uh, the Pharisee would have been totally exalted in that society, right? Like, he is high and lifted up. He's going to be revered for all of his spiritual knowledge and his leadership. Um, and, and so here he is. And then over here, we have a tax collector who would have been considered the, the picture of the scum of the earth. <laughs> no one is going to be any lower than he is because he's considered um, someone who's a cheat. He's considered someone who is um, a traitor to his community. And so these two men, they couldn't be any more different, right? Um, and as they start to pray, here we have this Pharisee. He starts to pray this prayer in which he says, God, thank you that I'm not like all these other people. 
especially like this fair, this uh, tax collector over here. Oh my, right? And then he goes on and he reminds God, he's like, and God, you know, make sure you remember that I'm the one who fasts two times a week and that I give a tenth of everything I give to the temple as if maybe God hadn't noticed, right? However, in great contrast to this Pharisee over here, we have a tax collector who is completely broken, he comes before God and he is not even able to lift his head toward heaven. All he can do is to beg for God's mercy. And so we have this great contrast in, in these men and in their prayers. And as the people are listening, they probably would have been nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah, this sounds about right. Like here we have the Pharisee. He's the one that's got this figured out. He's the one doing all the things he should. And over here we have this detestable um, tax collector but then Jesus throws them off for a curveball because instead of lifting up yet again this Pharisee as the example, he instead makes the tax collector the hero of the story. I'm sure the people were like, what? Why? Why is he the one who's justified before God? And this is how Jesus explains it. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. On the other side of Jesus' blessing of the babies, you have, again, that account right before. Right after it, we have another encounter of Jesus. We have an encounter um, that we know pretty commonly as, as the, the exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. This actually occurs in all three of those gospels where the story of the blessing of the babies occurred. These stories are always tied together. Um, and uh, what we find is that this young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants to know. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Where are my overachievers in the room? We got some overachievers? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know some of you. I have to keep my hand up for a reason. Um, but, you know, here he is. He's been keeping all the commandments. He's been doing everything he's supposed to since he was young. But he comes to Jesus and he just has to be sure, like, is there any extra credits? A 99% will not do, right? And so Jesus, he does give him an extra assignment. He says to him, he says, here's what I want you to do then. I want you to sell everything you have, right? The thing that has exalted you up and made you special in the eyes of the world. I want you to sell all of it and give it to the poor and come to follow me. However, this rich young ruler, he goes away sad because he can't do it. He's not willing to humble himself. And so right there in between these two examples of exalted men, the Pharisee and the rich young ruler sandwiched right between them, we have this picture of humble children coming to Jesus. They had no means to exalt themselves. They, they weren't even able to put sentences together yet, let alone be able to put together an eloquent argument for why they should be a part of God's kingdom. They can't understand what it means to behave well, let alone keep all the commandments. Yet Jesus looks at them and he lifts them up as the example. He exalts them, the humble. They came to Jesus that day with absolutely nothing, which made them completely free and open to receive, to receive the great love that Jesus already had for them. 
The babies we bless earlier, they have something to teach us. Dorothy Day summarized their lesson in this way. She says, Jesus kept on telling us we should try to be like children, be more open to life, curious about it, trusting of it, and be less cynical and skeptical and full of ourselves. Think about that. How many times have we been like the Pharisee who's kind of like laying out our argument and listing out all the reasons why we should be in good with God? How many times have we been like that rich young ruler and got all caught up in making sure that we have done enough to earn God's love for us? How often do we get trapped in trying to like get everything nice and neat and tied up in a bow? How often do we get all caught up trying to get everything all figured out and nailed down? Rather than recognizing that this Jesus that we're trying to, to kind of capture and contain as a concept is actually a person. A person who wants nothing more for us to just come and sit on his lap and experience the love that he has for us. In God's kingdom, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And the humble, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, some of you all know that this past week, my grandmother passed away. Um, this is my Meemaw Grant. And if you look at the picture, I think you might even be able to see the mischief that is in her eyes always. Um, she was 94 years old, and there were so many wonderful qualities about her. Um, one of those being that she was extremely funny. Um, I can't repeat most of the funny things that she said because, you know, they say I shouldn't use that language in here. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, for one example, she had a piano that she got in her house at one point, and she was teaching herself to play the piano again because mischief, right? She was known for um, cutting her piano classes, skipping them and going off and playing with her friends. And so here she is in her older age trying to learn the piano. And every time we would come over to the house uh, for big events, uh, she'd gather the family around, she'd sit down on the bench, and she would say to us, what do you want to hear tonight? I'm taking requests. <laughs> and so we would say things like, as kids, you know, silent night, jingle bells, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And every time, without fail, no matter what we had requested, she'd say, all right. And she would start to play the Missouri Waltz instead. <laughs> it was the only song that she actually knew. And she would just like cackle the entire time. <laughs> Again, she was absolutely hilarious. But beyond that, beyond being um, so funny, um, without even really knowing that she was doing it, she taught me probably the most profound lesson I have learned about the kingdom of God through the way that she welcomed us as children. Her house was the place to be, and not just like on holidays, but like any old day of the week. Um, when you went there, um, there was no stuffiness. Right. There was uh, there was no formality. Um, it was just warmth. Right. Whenever you walk through the door, her home was your home. You instantly gained refrigerator rights where there was always a Wendy's Frosty waiting for you in the freezer. Um, and then um, you quickly learned, no matter how long you had been there, where the snack closet was in her hallway that was filled with all the best junk food because it wasn't her problem when she sugared us up. She got to send us home, right? <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad back there. Um, but beyond, um, beyond just, you know, the fun and the food, there was something so much richer about the welcome that she extended to us as children. 
Whenever you were with her, you were free. You were free to be yourself. You know, you could come in her door when you were with her and you could be happy or silly. You could be sad or mad. You could be stubborn or inquisitive. You could be tired. You could be distraught over losing the Easter egg hunt, um, which is not unusual in our family. We're a very competitive bunch. In fact, in fact, uh, the Easter egg hunt, there was always a prize for the person who got the most eggs. And uh, because some of us, not me, another cousin that will go unnamed, would become so distraught, she actually developed a second prize. There was a second prize for the child who cried the most, right, if you didn't win. So we even made that into a competition, right? Like you didn't get the most eggs, how much could you cry? But even in the midst of all of that, in, in, in the midst of us, I'm sure at times driving her absolutely crazy and frustrating her to no end, I believe that never for one second did that change, even in the smallest bit, the love that she held for us. We didn't have to pretend. We didn't have to try to be anyone else. We didn't have to be on our best behavior. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to deserve it. She welcomed all of who we were into her heart. And so what if we dared to believe that God loved us in that same kind of way? What would it look like for you to humble yourself and to bring all of who you are, not just all the perfectly posed parts to Jesus? What would it look like for you to just sit on his lap and not try to justify yourself one bit, what would it look like for you to just be open to receive the great love he has for us all? Kids, they have so much to teach us in their humble way. And so let's not miss their lesson today. Let's pray together. Lord God, there is something in us that feels like we have to prove our worth to you. There's something in us that thinks that we have to be all shiny and bright, that we have to be all perfect and polished, that we have to have it all together and all figured out to be admitted into your presence, to, to be a part of your kingdom. But God, what we fail to recognize so often is that we don't have to do anything at all that you look at us like any good parent. You see all our, our faults, all of our weaknesses. You see, you see the best and worst of us, and yet you are absolutely, positively crazy in love with us. Lord God, I pray that we would allow ourselves to experience that love today, that we would allow ourselves to believe that we are already completely loved and that we would allow that love to shape us, that we would allow that love to transform us, that we would allow that love to move us out into this world in order to extend that same love that we have received from you to others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.